you enjoyed that quartet, say amen. That was great. Good, good singing today. We're blessed with a lot of musical talent in our church and appreciate everybody that uses those talents for the Lord. Uh, that's wonderful. A lot of people waste their talents and use them in ways that uh, really don't amount to much. So it's good when people use their talents to praise God for who He is and His Son, Jesus Christ. Certain names. You hear certain names, uh, you think certain things, right? You hear George Washington, you think uh, first president of the United States. Uh, you hear Michael Jordan, you think uh, a great uh, basketball player. You hear Lewis and Clark, you think of those great explorers that uh, helped uh, the European uh, colonies, the, the, well, the United States government when it was first formed. Lewis and Clark went west and, and mapped out a lot of the country. Uh, for the Americans, certain names you think of certain things. Well, a name you've probably never heard of is Aegeus III. Aegeus III, uh, you've probably never heard of him, even though in the ancient world he was one of the greatest warriors uh, from, one, from one of the greatest group of warriors there have ever been. Aegeus III was from Sparta, uh, that Greek city-state that was known uh, for its warriors and their ability to fight in combat. Aegeus III uh, was the ruler of Sparta for nine years after the death of his father. And although he was a great warrior in the ancient world, he is often forgotten because he was defeated in battle by the troops of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, who would go on and conquer so much of the world. Uh, as hard as he could for nine years, Aegeus III tried to lead Sparta to resist with a few of the other Greek city-states to resist Alexander and his uh, takeover of all of Greece. But, uh, like almost everyone else that fought against Alexander, Aegeus wound up on the wrong side. In an epic battle, uh, he fell in battle, wounded several times in the front of his body. He was fighting against uh, these uh, troops of Alexander, and he was wounded, and, and, and several times in the front of his body took major wounds, uh, any of which were going to take his life, uh, but he took these wounds, it continued, uh, his body continued to fight to live. His men picked him up and had to carry him off the battlefield, uh, and as the Spartan troops began to crumble, uh, they found themselves quickly getting surrounded by uh, the troops of Alexander the Great. And so Aegeus, who was already mortally wounded, uh, there was no doubt he was going to die, he picked himself up off of the little litter where they were carrying him. It's recorded that he somehow picked himself up off of the litter and took a sword in his hand and single-handedly held off the troops of Alexander so his men could escape. They got to a pass and he stood there and fought off the troops. Finally, after this giver of death had killed so many of Alexander's troops, they finally stopped trying to take him on one-on-one uh, -on -one or two-on-one -on -one with swords. He was there in a small pass, and he was able to use his sword to hold them off. And everybody thought, well, this would be a great honor to kill this king, but nobody could kill him, even though he was already mortally wounded. So finally, they stopped trying to kill him up close, and someone took a javelin and threw it, and it went through him, and that was the wound that finally killed Aegeus Third. Did you know that the world is filled with warriors that we've never heard of? 
that have fought heroically for their country or for land or for loot, uh, for their religion, whatever. The world is full of warriors that we've never heard of that, like Aegeus III, did amazing things on the battlefield. Well, This morning, my friends, it may be Labor Day weekend. And it may be a vacation weekend for us, but I want you to know that it is imperative that you realize today that the church of Jesus Christ is engaged in a war and there is no vacation from this war we are in until we rest with the Lord God in heaven and until Jesus comes back and sets all things right. We are engaged in a war. God's kingdom is at war. Now Ephesians 6.12 makes clear And we must remember this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not the kind of war that Aegeus and Alexander engaged in, where they are fighting one another in in fleshly mortal combat. No, Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are not engaged in a physical combat like Aegeus and Alexander, so the weapons of our warfare are not physical, but we are engaged in a spiritual warfare that the Lord Jesus is engaged in and using and leading his church to combat against the forces of darkness. And we see them everywhere. We see what drugs have done to our community. We see how this uh, growing sex slavery that is so big in America now Uh, starting at young girls that are forced into forced prostitution and basically live their lives as slaves in sex slavery. We see see this warfare through drugs and what it does to our families and we see it through uh, sex slavery. We see it in the little lies that we tell one another. We see it in the way that we deceive others and try to even to deceive God. We are in a spiritual war. But we are not alone. Because as I said, we're engaged in a war, but it's not Aegeus III that leads us or Alexander the Great that leads us. You are in a war today that you cannot win on your own, but we have a king that is one and is leading us to the victory, and his name is Jesus. And so we have come today knowing whatever it is, and for each one of us today, it'll be a little different what's going on in our own personal spiritual battle. It'll be a little different That'll be different. But then we're also in a collective battle where we're all in it together. And so we've been preaching through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, increasingly, we are seeing how the forces of this world are coming up against the growing forces of the church of God, the kingdom of God on the spread. And we're seeing how they are colliding together. And we are seeing as we go through this book of Acts, preaching through it, we are seeing how the intensity of this warfare is growing. And the church is winning more and more victories, but the forces of darkness are fighting back ever harder against what God is doing. The growth within the church did not happen without opposition. And in today's text, the battle gets especially hot. So go to Acts chapter 19. Go to Acts chapter 19, and this morning we're going to see uh, God's kingdom at war. We're going to see what this looks like and what this means for the church to be in battle. So Acts chapter 19. And we're going to read together, all right? God's kingdom at war. It's a very intriguing, interesting passage. 
And I want you to listen to the things that occur, all right? And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth. So we met Apollos last week. Uh, Apollos knew the, the, the preaching of John's uh, message of repentance and be baptized for the kingdom is at hand. And we saw that Apollos meets Aquila and Priscilla and he accepts, he accepts Jesus as his Savior and he becomes a leader within the church. Well, while Aquila and Priscilla are ministering Apollos to him, Paul has some things that he's going through. All right, so we're back to Paul now. All right, verse 1. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and he found there certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there is any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what were you baptized? So he meets these people who are talking about repentance, and they're talking about a Messiah, and he says, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they say, what are you talking about? And we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost, verse 3, and he said to them, under what were you baptized? They're disciples, but uh, he kind of, and he hears the message of repentance, and, and he probably hears about the Messiah, and he thinks, all right, we got some followers of Jesus, but what did they say to him, verse 3, under John's baptism? So just like Apollos Here's some people that have believed that you've got to repent. They recognize their sin. They know a Messiah is coming, but they don't know who he is yet. So verse 4, then said Paul, John verily or truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto people that they should believe on him which should come after. Then Paul gets the crux of the matter. Who is that one who would come? That is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them. So they believed. They accept Jesus. They, they, they believed that he is the Messiah. The Holy Ghost came upon them. They spoke with tongues. They prophesied. And all the men were about 12. So there's, there's a group of them that believed. And he went into the synagogue. Paul did there in Ephesus. And he spoke boldly for the space of three months. Disputing, persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So for three months he goes to the synagogue. They would read the scriptures in the synagogue, and then you know, there'd be some time for discussion and debate. And, and if you had a word to say, you could stand and say that word. And so for three months, he's going, and he's, he's trying to show them how the Old Testament points to Jesus. But when divers, or when many of them were hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of that way, so there's a group that rejects Paul's message. They begin to speak evil of the way of Jesus. They're, they're not for this. They spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He, Paul, departed from them, separated the disciples. So, so now we're seeing the process. How was it that the early Jewish Christians eventually get separated from the synagogue? Well, these folks don't want them in the synagogue. And the leaders of the synagogue rise up and say, hey, we don't believe this. We're not going to have this. And so we see that the disciples are separated away. But he continues his, miss it, his, his mission disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years. So in this passage, we're looking at a two-year period. So he's there in Ephesus two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia, and that, that's, that's now not literally not everybody, all right? We understand this. He's trying to use an expression that, man, everybody heard about this. Everybody knows about this. Well, every, that doesn't literally mean everybody. It's the same way we use that term. Man, all kinds of people heard about this. It spread everywhere, right? Those that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And then we get to one of the strangest passages in the Bible. In fact, this passage, what I'm going to read, is so unusual, so strange, so even in the early church they recognized, whoa, 
this is unlike other things we have seen God do. And God was doing some miraculous things. This is so miraculous that the text even lets us know that there's something different about what we're going to read. So hold on. I hope you came ready to dig into God's Word. Because this, I'm going to tell you, this is some wild stuff here. Acts says, God wrought special miracles. Special miracles by the hands of Paul. These are unique. These are different. These are God doing something that it's time to sit up. It's time to pay attention. What did God do? So that from his body, from the body of Paul, were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So it's unclear here. We know Paul's a tent maker. We know that during the day, he, he went up to no place in Acts, he's doing his, his daily stuff. So one thing that might have happened is he's doing his work, and he has his aprons, his work aprons on that he's working with, and he has his cloths. He has his cloths that when he gets hot and he gets sweaty, he takes them and he cleans off. So some people read this and they say probably what happened is Paul was working there and when Paul would get done working, it it could kind of it kind of be like what's happened to Tom Brady a couple times. You know Tom Brady a couple times after big games, his his uniform has been stolen by a manager. You guys remember reading about this? They would steal his manager and then go sell it or give it to somebody because they knew, whoa, Tom Brady just played a big game for the Patriots. If you may not know about football, he's quarterback of the Patriots. I think he's won five Super Bowls. He's won a bunch. And so he's such a great player now, sometimes when he plays, people will steal his jersey if they can get away with it after the game and give it to somebody else because they know, man, this Tom Brady's something. Well, some people think, here is Paul, and he's working during the day. And people know this, this guy, there's something about him. And, and some people think that, that they took what he was using and took it and then took it to people that were sick and they were healed. Now, why am I, now, now we don't know because the text doesn't tell us. Now, and I'll give you the other way in a second. But why might that be right? Why may God let that happen? Now, again, I'm going to put this in brackets because the text does not tell us. It just tells us it happened. Here's the thing in the ancient world. In the ancient world, there was this belief that if, if a miracle is going to happen to you, if a person with spiritual power is going to bless you, then you've got to be clean. You've got to be clean. We even see that in the Old Testament. So that's a part of that that is true because in the Old Testament, we know there's a holy God and he only accepts the best. And so he demands that, that the sacrifices to him be not just some, some animal uh, with, with some deformity or some blemish. No, you've got to give up the best to a holy God because he's going to give up his best, his best, his son Jesus, for you. So in the Old Testament, we see this principle that God expects the best. Well, pagan religions had that too. And so we know at Ephesus at this time, many of the, many of the wonder workers, they would, they would cleanse themselves. They would purify themselves. And, and the garments they would wear would be spotless. Because they need the power of the divine to come upon them. And some, so some people say, God is sending a message to them that you can, you can do the outward stuff as much as you want. But here is Paul who's been working all day, who's sweaty all day, who's stinky all day. And here's the difference between Paul and all these other folks that are getting cleaned up on the outside. Paul really has the power of God. They don't. And so some people think people saw it and they took it. And God let some miracles happen to send a message to this very, this very demonic community. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a minute. This place is filled with the demonic. And some people believe God allowed this to happen to send a message that, hey, you can get as cleaned up as you want to, and your wizards and your magicians and all these demonic people, they can do whatever they want, but they don't have the power of God. Paul has the power of God. 
Now, this is to confirm, why would God let that happen? To confirm that the Jesus he preached was the Messiah. This isn't about Paul making money. He's making no money. He's not, Paul's, Paul tells us in his letters, he's, he, he's working at tents. This is not about making money. This is not about lifting him up, but it is about letting the miracle happen to show that the gospel is true. So that's one way. Now, other people say, no, that people would come and they would just take, take that from him and they would just take those things and then go, go to those people. We don't know. We just know, and he says, this is different. This is, this is special miracles. Go on, look at verse 12. And diseases departed from them. Evil spirits went out of them. But then, this is always what happens, folks. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon themselves. They decided, we're going to call over them which have evil spirits. And they see that there's power in the name of Jesus. And so they say, hey, we're going to use the name of Jesus to continue doing what we do, which is making money off this and showing our power. So they just think, hey, Paul's really got it. He's preaching Jesus. We don't know Jesus. We've never given our lives to Jesus. We've not been changed by Jesus. But we, had, we know his name. And so the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Not Jesus whom I know. Not Jesus who has washed me of my sin. Not Jesus who has spent the Holy Spirit to empower me. But they said, Jesus whom Paul preaches. Listen, somebody else cannot give you the salvation that Jesus gives. You've got to receive it, and he's got to give it to you. And so they say, hey, they, they say, we, uh, we command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And then it gives us a little more detail. By the way, this is part of how we know that the book of Acts is true. Because the book of Acts, if you notice, is preaching through it. He gives us all these little details. And these are details that people at that time would have known that that was either true or not. People would have read what we're going to read, and they would have known these boys. And they would have known, that's exactly right. That's, that's what happened. Look what happens. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priest. So is he the chief leader of the priests in that area? Is he the chief leader of some vagabond sect of Jews that are into this exorcism stuff? We don't know, but he's some kind of leader. He's some kind of recognized authority. He's got seven sons, and they did this. They went to these demons and said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, get out. Verse 15, but the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Now, the demonics know Jesus because Jesus has been with Father God from the beginning. And the demonic would have known Jesus before the demons fell from heaven, before the fallen angels fell. They would have known Jesus. They would have known Jesus in that pre-incarnate state where with Father God, Jesus spoke this world into being. Oh, Jesus, we've known. We've known Jesus. We knew him before he even came and took on the form of a man. We know Jesus, but we don't know you. And we know Paul, who's got the spirit and power of Jesus. We know Paul, who is blinded by Jesus, who is changed by Jesus, to do a miraculous ministry, we know him, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was in leapt on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And a fear fell on them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed 
and showed their deeds. And many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found there was 50,000 pieces of silver. Remember, books are expensive in the ancient world. They don't have printing presses. You just don't have books laying around. And there are these books, these demonic books, these books that are, that are dwelling in witchcraft and in all these kind of things. And they bring them and they burn them. And it is a fortune. It is a fortune that is burned. You know what? That, that shows people willing to sacrifice. They're willing to sacrifice and say, enough with that. Enough with that. I just need Jesus. And my friend, let me tell you, there will come a point in your life where the football score won't matter, where the hunting season won't matter, where the land you own won't matter, where the cars you own won't matter, where the house you have won't matter, where those friends you have will not be able to bring you, bring you the solace that you need. Believe me, there comes a day when all of us recognize it's Jesus or nothing. And so a revival, a revival breaks out. Oh, look at verse 20. This is the point of it all. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After, now, but here it goes now, right? We're in the middle of a battle. And sometimes in the middle of a battle, you think the battle's won. Right, remember the, right down the road in West Tennessee, the great battle of Shiloh was fought in the Civil War. And day one, day one, my people, the Confederates were kicking tail. They were whipping those Yankees, running them back off into the, into the Mississippi River. They were laying it to them. But then the night came. Then the night came. And right before the night came in Shiloh, one of the leading generals for the Confederates was shot. And then in night, nighttime, I can't remember if it was, I think it was General Grant, but one of, the, one of the Yankee generals showed up with a bunch of reinforcements, and the next day my people got their tails whipped. Because, see, the battle wasn't just one day. The battle was more than one day. And on day two, something different happened, and, and the southern army was kicked back, and, and the northerners won the Battle of Shiloh. My friends, let me tell you something. It's not a one-day battle. It's not a two-day battle. It's a lifetime battle. That's why the Bible is so clear. You need to walk with Jesus, stay with Jesus, remain with Jesus, look to Jesus, because there's only one general that's going to win this war for us, and it is Jesus. So, man, things are going great. Things are going so good, but then what happens? After these things were ended, Paul purposed in his spirit when he passed through Macedonia and under Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I, I want to go to Rome. So he went unto Macedonia. So he leaves. He goes to a new place. And, man, he's, I mean, things are going great. It's been two, year, two years, and amazing things have happened. He goes to Macedonia, and two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus, so Timothy and Erastus, they go. But he stayed himself in Asia for a season. And what happens, right, before he leaves and does this, before he heads out, something else happened that we need to know about. What happens before he leave, leaves? What happens, right? He says he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to go to Rome, but before he leaves town, something happens. At the same time, there arose no small stir about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana. Diana was the chief goddess of Ephesus. And there was a temple to Diana in Ephesus that was bigger than the Parthenon which we have a replica of in Nashville. This temple was bigger than the Parthenon. And this guy is one who makes stuff with silver, and he's made a lot of money making silver idols and silver trinkets and silver stuff. So his whole way of life is bound up 
with this false goddess Diana in her temple. Verse 24, look at the end of it. It brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. So there are others that are in business with him, and they're making money. He called them together. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and he said, Sirs, they, they, they had a business meeting. Sirs, you know that it's by this craft that we have our wealth. Moreover, you see in here that not alone, not only here in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people saying that they be no gods which are made with our hands. Paul's letting everybody know that there's not real gods, that it's fake and phony. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath. And they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Astrachus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord in the theater. They grabbed them and they take them down to the Colosseum. They take them down to the equivalent of the Titan Stadium and everybody rolls in there to see what's going to happen. So they grab two of Paul's companions. And when Paul would have entered in into the people, the disciples suffered him not. We don't know what happened. The disciples say no. They say, Paul, you're not going in there. Paul, we're not, we're not, we're not going to let you. This isn't what needs to happen. And we don't know all the details. We're just told that Paul was not allowed to go. Certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not. They say, don't go. Don't go into the theater. So therefore cried one thing and some another. So now we're back to the theater. We're, we're, back, we're back to the assembly. There's just, a, a, just mass confusion. The assembly was confused. And the more part knew not. Wherefore, they were come together. Some, some people just ran with the crowd. They just want to see what's going on. Other people are, are, are yelling, Diana's our goddess. And there's all this stuff going on. Everybody's trying to figure out what is happening. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews put him forward. And Alexander beckoned with one hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, they wouldn't even let him talk. They wouldn't even let him speak. All with one voice, about the space of two hours, they chant the same thing over and over again. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is the Diana of the Ephesians. Oh, if you know the Old Testament, and you know the story of Mount Carmel, where the, the priests of Baal, all day they cried out to their God. Here we are, the same thing, just several centuries removed. Great is Diana. When the town clerk had appeased the people, finally one of the politicians gets them calmed down. And he says, you men of Ephesus, what man is there that knows not that the city of Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Now, you know how politicians are. Unless it's just going to benefit them directly, politicians do not want to stink. They do not want to stir. They do not, they do not want this. And especially a Roman province does not want this because, because Ephesus has a good little deal worked out with the Roman Empire. They basically govern themselves. And the politician knows if we cause a stink, we're liable to get some Roman soldiers down here. And, and we're liable to get some troops down here. And this little sweetheart deal that me and the other politicians and everybody else in this town has got worked out, the Romans might just put an end to all that. And so he, he says, hey, everybody knows, verse 35, everybody. Who doesn't know that we worship Diana? And who doesn't know about the image which fell down from Jupiter? What is that? Probably, probably a meteorite that had fallen from the ground. 
they often thought that meteorites had hit the ground. They would say that was a sign from Zeus or a sign from Jupiter, uh, the Roman name for Zeus. They said, who doesn't know that, that this happened in our city? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet. And don't do anything rashly. For you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers. They, they haven't robbed anybody. Robbers of the churches. Now, church is a generic sense. They, are just, they haven't robbed our, our gathering. They haven't robbed our fellowship. They're not blasphemers of your goddess. They hadn't even said anything about your goddess. They, they, they didn't come in here and, and talk. They're not even talking about her, right? They're just talking about this guy, Jesus. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is opened. They can take it before the law, and there are deputies. Let them plead. Let them bring their case one another. But if you inquire any things concerning this matter, if you have a lynching, if you string these boys up, if you take this in your matter, it will be determined in a lawful assembly. We are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, for there being no cause. They haven't actually broken any law that we have, whereby we may give account unto this concourse, or at least it's not been proven yet they've broken our laws. And when he spoke, he dismissed the assembly. Chapter 19, verse 11. And God wrought, or God worked, special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, Ephesus, Ephesus is where Paul is now. And Ephesus is a very religious city. It was also a very wicked city. It was also a city that we know by this point their economy was starting to collapse a little bit. And as the economy is collapsing, they, they still had this great tourism uh, revenue that was coming in because lots of people were coming to their temple. So you can imagine the situation, their, their economy in Ephesus, we know at this point, is starting to collapse. And the one thing they still got is this great temple that everybody would come to and everybody would see. And so here's Ephesus. Now here's the thing about Ephesus, it's a very religious city. But this should not surprise us because one of the chief activities of the devil is to take religion, to take worship of God and to twist it into something perverted from what it should be. So it should not surprise us that sin has turned the glorious worship of God into this false, heathen, idolatrous religion of worshiping Diana. And so into this situation steps Paul. Paul, a warrior for Christ. A warrior for Christ who in Ephesus had to deal with at least three kinds of faulty religion. And these three false religions are religions that any of us can fall prey to, but that the kingdom of God is warring against. So if we are in a battle against some false religious stuff, what is it that the kingdom of God is warring against? And I want to share these three things with you. Number one, number one, the kingdom of God wars against deficient religion. The kingdom of God, God will, he's not satisfied with deficient religion in your life. Now, he is merciful, and he is long-suffering, and he, and he knows our frailty, and he's willing to, to help us. And God does judge every man according to his light. But God does not want you to stay in ignorance. He wants you to mature and grow. And so the kingdom of God is about spreading the knowledge of God and the word of God and who Jesus is. So the kingdom of God wars against deficient religion. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. All right, here's where it happens. He went into the synagogue, spoke boldly for three months, Disputing, persuading the things concerning the things of God, but when diverse were when many people had hardened and believed not, they spoke evil of that way before the multitude, the way of Jesus, they spoke against it. And so he departed. Did he quit? Did he, did he quit trying to 
tell the truth to people? No. He departed from them, separated the disciples, disputed daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia, just another way of saying, man, all over the place people heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Greek. Three months, synagogue, Paul tries to show his Jewish brethren from the Old Testament how they pointed to Jesus, and that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ who had come. And, and, and Paul had to tell them. Paul had to say, it was folks like me, it was folks like you that we missed it. We missed who Jesus really was. In fact, we rejected him. In fact, we killed him. And Paul shared and shared and shared. And part of what Paul had to share, and boy, this, this, this gets tough and this hits home. Paul had to share, look, what you've got is the outward. And the outward was always supposed to point towards this inner thing that God was going to do. God promised in his word that one day he wasn't just going to make the outward different. He was going to change the inward heart. He was going to give you a new heart. He was going to take that old corrupted heart, that that heart that longed for sin, and he's going to give you a heart that longs for righteousness and the ways of God. And Paul had to tell his brethren, Paul had to say, you know the problem with me, Paul, Paul, problem with me, Paul says, I, I did all the outward stuff. But there had been no inward change. There had been no, and what Paul's telling them is, you know, I had the outer husk. Use farming terminology. I had the outer husk, but I didn't have the kernel. I didn't have the thing that was inside. And Paul told them, hey, listen, this form of religion, this husk will not do it. What you need is the kernel. You need Jesus. So if you need Jesus today, say amen. Now, here's, here's, here's something about, now we know about this, right? Now, now, we're not all farmers, but we understand this principle of, it, of it's, what's, it's what's right there in the middle that counts. Man, my, my, my boys eat a lot of Pop-Tarts for breakfast. Uh, they eat a lot of Pop-Tarts for breakfast. And, and, and Ethan will eat the whole thing. And this ain't going to surprise you. Ethan, Ethan, you know, he does what he's supposed to eat the whole thing. Y'all know what Owen does with a Pop-Tart. You know how a Pop-Tart is? You got that little bread part that's on the outside. And then you got the good stuff right in the middle, like the gooey, sticky, sugary stuff. So Owen, you know, he... He's got his blanket wrapped around him that we're trying to make him quit wearing to the table in the mornings. He's got his blanket around. Oh, and there's his hand. And he sits down and he'll, he'll, he'll cross his arms. And he'll sit there and he'll look at his Pop-Tart. And I'll go on what I'm doing. And I'll come back later and the gooey, sugary part's gone, but that whole crust on the outside has all been broken off. And it's been left right there. Now, I'll give, I will give Owen this. He knows where the good stuff is. He, he knows what counts in a Pop-Tart is that middle part, and he knows it, and that's what he wants. Can I tell you today, I'm so glad you came to church today. I'm so glad you came to worship today. What an encouragement. Labor Day weekend, come and to worship in God's house. That, I, I'm glad you did that. But can I tell you today, coming to church today won't save you. Only Jesus will. And this church is no good if we don't tell you about Jesus. It's no good if we do all this outward stuff, but we don't magnify Jesus. We don't talk about Jesus. We don't praise Jesus. We don't let you know that it's Jesus that matters because Jesus is the kernel. Now, he affects everything else, right? And that's what we learned. The other stuff does matter. The outward does matter. All that matters, but it matters because of what's in the middle, because of who Jesus is. And so God doesn't want you to just play the game. He doesn't want you to just know the outward. He wants you to know that he loves you and that he died for you and that he, that he, that he wants you. He, he, and he knows you're in a battle and he wants you to know that he's given his spirit to walk with you in that battle and to comfort you and to help you. All over our city, just like Ephesus, 
Ephesus. People engaged in deficient religion. On the outside, they look okay, but on the inside, there's no Jesus. No Jesus has taken root, and so the kingdom of God cannot stand this. It cannot abide this. The church of God is to show people, no, 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 not just the outward. You need an inward change. You need Jesus, because religion can send you to hell. But Jesus can save you. So, What's the kingdom of God at war against? It's not flesh and blood. We don't fight the way Aegeus and Alexander fight. But we fight against deficient religion. Number two, the kingdom of God wars against imitation religion. It's not just deficient religion. You could get a little more specific. There's a type of deficient religion that is also imitation religion. God does not want imitation religion. Look at verse 11. It lets us know God read special miracles, works special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. Now Luke, who's traveling and wrote the book of Acts, he sees a lot of Paul's ministry. And he wants you to know, boy, I didn't see nothing like this. This, this was, this, I mean, Paul, Paul, God blessed Paul in a mighty way, but this is something different. Verse 13, what happens with this unique, special power of God? What happens? Verse 13 Certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took unto them to call over them, which had evil spirits. Now they would call out the name of the Lord Jesus. And they'd say, we command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And boy, he says, let me give you an example. These seven sons of Sceva, right? And look at verse 16. When they did this, the Spirit of God says, I don't know you. And the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overcame them, prevailed them, beat them bloody, beat them naked. They didn't cast anybody out. They didn't cast anybody out. What they had was the demonic rebound right back on them with a double portion. Now, that word special miracles in Greek is dynamis atacosis. This means extraordinary miracles. These aren't even, I mean, this is how God, this is the thing about God and what Paul shows. One reason this is given to us, one, is so we'll have the fear of the Lord like they did to not mess around with the name of Jesus, to not play religious games, because he shows us what happens if you play religious games. That's one thing. The other reason we get, he uses that word, extraordinary miracles, is because we've been reading a lot of miracles in the book of Acts, and this is the thing about God, about the moment you think, man, God, you are so great, you are so powerful, you're so awesome. God, I don't think it could get even bigger than what you've done. Boom, God does something else even bigger. If you're glad God does big things, say amen. This is even bigger. Ephesus was a place where the bizarre had become normal. With demonic worship had found expression in Diana where the whole economy had come to thrive on wild incantations, on demonic activity, demonic slavery. And it seems when Paul showed up in Ephesus that God did what he always does. God met the people where they were at. And part of what meeting these people where they were at to show them the power of Jesus is it means that as they watched Paul's authority through the name of Jesus, they saw how powerful Jesus was. But then the imitators showed up. By the way, we have these same imitators today. We have, same, we have the same people. that they're, they're, Now, it's not as prevalent as it even was 10 years ago, but let me tell you something. When television first took off up until about 10 years ago, but they're still on there, you would see the imitators all the time. You would see the imitators who, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't just in the name of Jesus, I set you free from this. It was that imitation religion of, in the name of Jesus, and if you send me a $25 check, 
and put your hand up against the TV, I will cat. Now, did you notice the addition there? I'm going to need some money from you. And some of them were slick and they gave a soft sale. They just guilted you into giving the money. And others gave you the hard sale of, of now look, now if you really wanted to do this, you know, don't, don't, don't send me $5. You know, you're going to have to give a big amount. And all kinds of people have been led astray by this stuff. And when it didn't work, and when it didn't happen, I believe it's Joni Erickson Tata. If you know her story, she was athletic young woman jumped off a pier one day into into water there was a log or something there they didn't know paralyzed her instantly in a wheelchair and she wanted so desperately to be healed and she went to a very famous faith healer from a couple decades ago and she tells in her story i got there and i so wanted to be healed and i'd seen this guy on tv and i'd seen what he said and all this stuff and she tells when she got there they rolled all the people in a wheelchair over to one little section off to the side. And they never came over there. And then when they got done, they just rolled them right out. God will judge that, amen? Imitation religion then. Imitation religion today. Listen, God says, you, you better watch out for this imitation religion these pretend christians that don't really know the power of god you know our world celebrated the passing of, of a great man and, and and i didn't agree with him on some stuff but john mccain he, he did have a he, he's an iconic american figure but can i tell you today that best i know in the kingdom of god this man jack taylor that we buried here this weekend in the kingdom of god god his warrior spirit far surpasses the fleshly warrior spirit of this world. And we buried a man that his testimony his whole life, you could look at it and say, hey, I don't have to guess. This was a man that knew Jesus. Now let me give you a warning and then we'll go move to point number three and then we're done. Folks, beware of this imitation religion because the devil lets you play that game a little while and then the devil will do what he always does. The devil will let you play with that sin and keep coming to church. The devil will let you play with that sin and keep doing your Bible study. The devil will let you keep, and I'm not talking about you're fighting against that sin and you're warring against that sin and you're begging God and pleading with God and asking God to help you. I'm talking about this, you're just kind of going through the motion and you keep playing with it. There comes a time where, where the devil is going to allow that sin to stranglehold you. And it's going to beat you bloody. And it's going to beat you down. So the kingdom of God, folks, we, did, we don't take Labor Day off in the kingdom of God. We're always, listen, we're always, we're always in this spiritual battle. You know, we'll take a physical rest tonight. I'm not going to lie to you, I'm, I'm looking forward to this physical rest this afternoon. But even though I'm taking a physical rest, the battle of the, with, the, with the forces of this world and between this devil, you can take physical rest, but the spiritual battle never stops. If you know that to be true, say amen. Folks, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. It's good to take physical rest. But you're always, this is why we need Jesus so desperately. Why we need him, because we're at war. The kingdom of God is at war. It's a war with deficient religion. It's war with imitation religion. And finally, the kingdom of God is at war with idolatry, with, with idolatrous religion. It doesn't, God does not want you to stay deficient in your faith. 
God does not want you to imitate somebody else's faith. And God sure does not want you to engage in worship of the wrong things. Look at verse 24 through 26. Demetrius is a silversmith. Silver shrines for Diana. Verse 25, he calls together the others just like him. Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone here in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they be no gods which are made with our hands. Now, who is Diana? She is the goddess of fertility, the goddess of, of, of sex. All right? So now in Greek culture, she's a little bit different, but by this point, the Romans and the Greek religion is mixed all together. And now this worship of Diana, she's just become basically a worship of sex. That's what she is. And in fact, if you, and I don't want to give too much info, but I want you to know what they're up against. If you went to her temple, you would see just huge, huge pornographic uh, parts of the female all over the place. And I mean huge. I mean just massive. So this is, in fact, this temple is so important that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Sex sells, it always has. It's idolatry of the worst kind. Now, right, God, God made a man and a woman to be together and for that to be precious and special. And God made you to worship him and that is to be special. And so in their religion, they've taken these two very special things, worship of the true God and physical activity with another in, marriage, in a marriage relationship. And they have taken these two things and they perverted both of them and they have brought them together and they have called it worship to God. And we see this today. We see among our society, just as the ancient world has done, it has twisted what God has made and has made a false religion and has made a false worship. And they may not call it religion, but this is what they worship and this is what they're dedicated to. And so in Ephesians, they're not breaking just one commandment. They're breaking two commandments all together with this worship of Diana. And this, by the way, you could... You could go to that temple, and one of the ways you would worship is that they would have temple prostitutes. And so a way you would worship is you would come and bring your money, and then you would engage in that act with a temple prostitute, and you would call that worship to God. But the human heart is wicked, say amen. But here's the thing, my friend. Your heart is just as wicked. And it's just as prone if you start down this path to wind up right where the Ephesians are. So what do you do when you're confronted with sin like this? There's two choices and two choices only in our battle. You can believe and be baptized like those at the beginning of our text. You can embrace and turn to Jesus to save you. Or you can continue in your deficient religion. See, some of you need to let go of deficient religion. And you need to not just know the outer. You need, to, you need to know the inward power of Jesus Christ. Some of you need to take the Word of God and the Son of God, Jesus. You need to take Him serious today. And you need to let go of this deficient religion. Some of you need to be broken from imitation religion. you got the game down pat. But you're not looking to Jesus as you're all in all. You don't, you don't know what that's about. You need to let that imitation religion go. You need to quit worrying about just repeating what the generation before you did. And you need to get serious about in your own life what Jesus wants to do with you. And then some of you need to leave your idolatry. You need to let that sin go. You need to lay it down at an altar and say, Lord, 
I'm I'm not going to just give in to this. And I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to trust you. And Lord, when I fail, when I fail in the battle, I'm going to claim to those promises that let me know I can't win this battle, but Jesus, you won it for me on the cross. Whether it's deficient religion or imitation religion or idolatrous religion, the kingdom of God is at war and you cannot stay neutral. You either serve the king of glory or you turn to your own gods like Diana. Will it be Jesus or will it be this world and your sin? If you want Jesus, say amen. Then folks, let's worship him. Let's not go through some rote memorized into a service. Let's all use this time to ask the Lord Jesus to help us in this spiritual battle. Dads, use this time to name your children to the Lord. And to ask the Lord to help you to be the father you need to be. And mothers, use this time to ask the Lord to help. Because you can't do it on your own. You're not going to be perfect. You need Jesus. Moms, use this time. Students, you get a day off tomorrow. You get get a rest, but then you got to go back to school. Use this time to ask the Lord. Name, Name the battle you're already facing at school. Name it. And ask the Lord to help you be faithful in the midst of that battle. Listen, whatever the physical needs you have, God cares about those. We see those healings there. We see that. And God did the ultimate healing on Brother Jack. He took him home and gave him a new body. Maybe today you got physical struggles and it's a battle today. Maybe today you need to name that struggle and ask the Lord, Lord God, I'm just, whatever happens, I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you. The one that doesn't know Jesus. Today, today is the day. Would you stand with me as the musicians come? Let's sing together. Use this time. Use this time of warfare to look to our leader, to our King Jesus. You do that this morning. All right, Father God, I ask, Lord, use this time. Lord, we have dug into this text, this extraordinary text. The Word of God tells us these are extraordinary things. But God, you told us about them. And I believe you told it to us so we would know not to fall prey to deficiency or idolatry or imitation. Lord, that we would cling to the one thing, the true thing, to Jesus. So, Father God, I ask right now, Lord, you know the hearts, you know the struggles, you know the battles. Lord, use this time. Use this spiritual warfare time to point somebody in the way, to point them to Jesus. Lord, help them to not be afraid. If they need to come, Lord, for prayer, help them to come. Father God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.